they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound in shackles and chains, and he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. God, we just uh, stand and bow our heads and hearts before you today and say, thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your promise that your mercies are new every single day. And God, right now I pray that your mercy is so available, is so rich and free, to change our lives right now. In Jesus' name we pray and continue to worship. Amen. I invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Mark, chapter 5, and I want to encourage you to just um, keep your Bible open and track with us as we move through this exciting uh, passage today. I just have to say from the outset that as the last couple of weeks, as we have kind of worked through this passage, um, it, it's just washed over my soul, and um, 
I'm fired up, so I'm giving you a warning. Uh, I'm fired up about what God has for us today. Now, there's a, there's a cost to anything that's worth having. And there is a high, high, high cost to anything worth being. Our family has a tradition to keep vehicles for a long, 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 long time. Uh, <laughs> in fact, our, our um, vehicles have names. I mean, we can go back through the years and we keep our vehicles so long we name them. Um, just recently we sold Bessie. And Bessie was our faithful 2002 Chevy Tahoe, Bessie had 385,340 miles when I sold her. And I went home that night and I told Gail, I said, Bessie has a new home. And the words got out of my mouth and Gail started crying, so I started crying too, you know, just, uh, I mean, the reason she was crying was because, I mean, she had traveled to baseball games and cheerleader competitions and I mean some of you know the drill I mean we had been on family vacations we'd been all over the country and in, in that car and Gail was crying tears of sadness I was crying tears of joy <laughs> I was glad to finally I mean I was playing taxes and insurance on a car that was just sitting out in the driveway and once a month I'd drive her back and forth to Columbia just to keep her running and I'm telling you when 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 the new people took over ownership of that vehicle they got a good one I mean it's going to last a long long time if if they'll take care of her then there's there's Jimmy our pickup truck and I'm not going to take time to tell the whole story about Jimmy but a few weeks ago I carried Jimmy to get a new paint job and when I went to pick up Jimmy you know, it had some work done on it and a new paint job, and I got Jimmy back home, and I went to take the key out of the ignition, and there was a yellow piece of, of, of duct tape like this stuck to the keychain of Jimmy, and the note, I'm sure they left it there by accident, but the note on the, on the keychain said, Waste of time, Henry. <laughs> I want to tell you something. That hurt my feelings. In fact, I got mad when I read that note because Jimmy is of great value to me. So anything that's worth having has a cost attached to it. Today you're either a believer in Jesus Christ or you're not. There's no middle ground. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ that identity in your life has come with a great cost. It's come at the sacrifice of God coming to earth and living as a man and living a perfect life and going to the cross and shedding his blood on the cross to pay for your sin. High cost, a very high cost for you to become a believer. And every person is important to God. There's no such thing as a waste of time, Henry, <laughs> when it comes to a new creation of God. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, describes how much God loves every person and the cost of that investment. There's a cost to even associating with Jesus Christ. 
And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So join me, and as we move through this passage, look for some keys to the cost of the kingdom of God. First of all, and you heard the passage read earlier, but in verse 1, living with purpose has a cost. Living with purpose has a cost. Verse 1 says, And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. After calming the ferocious storm, we talked about last week, some of you were here, and we talked about the ferocious storm that popped up in the night and threatened the life of the disciples. They thought they were going to die. And in the midst of that storm, Jesus said, Peace be still, and calm the seas, and calm the winds, and spared the lives of the disciples. And after that incident, they continued to go to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee is very different from the western side. Some of you have been there. You know that the eastern side, today it's called the Golan Heights. It's a, it's a section of uh, mountainous, rough, rocky terrain that comes right down into the sea. Kind of like some of the western coast of California. And for whatever reason, Jesus chose to move from the lush, green, productive, crowdy side of the Sea of Galilee over to the, to the eastern side. We don't know why he chose to go to the eastern side, but I'll guarantee you this. He had a purpose for going to the eastern shore, that rocky terrain, that rough terrain. On that side of the shore... There were mostly Gentiles. They worshipped a god called Zeus. Zeus was supposed to be the god of all gods. And as a part of worship of Zeus, they sacrificed pigs to Zeus. Jesus could have retreated to that side of the shore just to get some rest. You know, that's why he left the western shore to begin with. And he and his disciples could have gone over there to get some rest. He could have gone over there because he, he wanted to just have personal time teaching his disciples away from the crowds. That could have been why he went. He could have gone to that side, the eastern shore, in order to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to a new people group that had never heard the gospel, that had never heard of Jesus, never, never had an idea of who he was. Again, we don't know exactly why he went to the eastern shore, but listen, he had a purpose for going over there to the eastern shore. Whatever the purpose was for retreating to the other side of the shore, there was a cost. There was a cost to moving to that side of the shore. In Mark chapter 1, we talked about this several weeks ago, back at the beginning, the very first day of our study of Mark. Here's what Mark said that Jesus said. Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, 15, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's why Jesus came to this earth. That was the purpose for him being here. He came to usher in the kingdom. He came to show the world a picture of the gospel. 
What is the gospel? I mean, it's much more complex than this, but let me just make sure everybody understands. The gospel starts before creation. The gospel starts when there's only God. In the beginning, God is what the first four words of Genesis say. say. Before there was anything, there was God. That's what makes him God. He wasn't created. He always has been. He always will be. But then the gospel goes on, and a thumbnail sketch says that God created. He created the world. He created animals. He created everything that's been created. He created man. And then man rebelled against God and sinned. And his sin separated him from God. So then God, in his pre-creation plan, it always has been his plan, he came into this world as one of us and became one of us as a man, as one in the flesh, and lived a perfect life. And at the end of his purpose here on this earth, he went to the cross and he died and he shed his blood to pay the real sacrifice. The sacrifice for your sin and my sin. If you're a believer today, the gospel says that's the way you come back into fellowship with God after being separated from God by your sin. And then one day, that's not the end of the gospel, one day after Jesus went to the cross and died and arose again, the third day after 40 days walking here on this earth, he ascended back into heaven. One day he's coming back again. And one day he will recreate this world. And on this earth, heaven will be established like it was originally planned to be. And forever and ever and ever, those who believe in Jesus will live eternally with God. That's the gospel that Jesus came to share. And regardless of the time the cost of energy, the cost of time, the cost of discomfort. Jesus paid the price to usher in the kingdom of God, and that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. So, he had an important purpose for going to the eastern side of the sea, the shore. Are you aware that every single day you trade time for something? And my desire and prayer for you and me is after this time we spend together today that you will be dedicated and you will be devoted to being like Jesus and you will make sure that every single investment of time that you make is spent for the purpose of knowing God and glorifying Him. That's what this text has led me to be so excited about this week. Um, I want to trade my time for his purpose. And I trust that you do as well. I encourage you to join me in being like Jesus, to be purposeful in everything that we do. For several years, I've, I've tried to model this. I've tried to say over and over and over again with modeling as a lifestyle as well as with words, that life is about knowing Jesus and making all of life about Him, that life is about making disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. That's a purpose worth living for. That's a purpose worth taking with you into eternity. 
And I want to encourage you today to follow me in achieving that purpose, understanding that purpose. Whatever country God takes you, whatever side of the highway God takes you, whatever side of the neighborhood street God takes you, I want you, like Jesus, to be diligent about God's purpose. And you can accomplish that. It will cost you, though. It will cost you comfort. It will cost you time. It will cost you reputation. It will cost you money. There's no such thing as following Jesus without there being a cost. But I promise you, the cost will be worth the investment of time and energy and reputation and money and so. In February of 1992, and I share this with all humility, I hope you know my heart here. In February of 1992, we had a three-year-old daughter and Gail was four months pregnant with our son. We felt God calling us to leave the comfort of a well-established church with all that goes along with that, salary and benefits and so forth, to leave that behind and start a new church from scratch. I'm talking from zero. And follow God in reaching unchurched people. It wasn't comfortable. And it wasn't without risk. In fact, the person that I respect more than any other person on planet Earth told me, Ronnie, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. But I knew what God was calling us to be and what God was calling us to do. And Gail agreed with that mission and that purpose. And so we cut the tie from security and moved out into the adventure of our life. So here we are today. We wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for that decision. And I promise you, we never looked back and we never will. Because following the purpose of God is worth the whole world. It's worth everything, anything this world has to offer. Secondly, helping hurting people has a cost. We move through the rest of the text with verse 2. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now listen to the description. Listen carefully to the description of this man. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but... He wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? 
And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. Now would you agree with me that this man was a challenge? He was a mess. I mean, the Bible says night and day he was crying out. He was in agony. He had no sense of peace. He was miserable. He lived in the tombs on the mountainside, constantly cut himself with rocks and stones. He was isolated from other people. He constantly, constantly had to feel lonely and depressed because he was out there making it on his own. He was such a threat to other people that they tried to put chains around him. They tried to bind his feet. But he was filled with so much strength from the enemy that he broke the chains and broke the shackles. They couldn't bind him because he was so powerful and obsessed. He was not the man that God created him to be. The Bible says he was possessed with a legion. You know what a legion is? A legion was three to 6,000 soldiers in the Roman army. Now think about that. This man was possessed three to 6,000 demons. I don't care how bad life has gotten for you. You can't imagine the misery this man was in. You can't imagine the bondage that he was in. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, the Bible says, onto the rocky terrain, the rough terrain, this exiled mass of human flesh <laughs> ran and fell down at the feet of Jesus. That, friends, is the beginning of any genuine eternal recovery process. Until you come and fall down at the feet of Jesus, humble yourself to bow at his feet and acknowledge him for who he is and give him authority over your life. I don't care how much money you spend on treatment programs. I don't care how many meetings you sit in. Your life will never be transformed until you give your life to Jesus. You know how I know that? Because I've experienced it. This man was not very different. The symptoms may have been different, but in my sin, I was just as separated from Jesus until I came and humbly laid myself at the feet of Jesus. You know, Jesus is the perfect picture of humility, isn't he? In Philippians chapter 2, some of us read in our small group God study this past week, bridge group study, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. There's never been a more humble person than Jesus. There's never been a more humbling act than for him to go to the cross and sacrifice his life for your sin and my sin. And this is where the story gets excited. Do you see the picture here in Mark chapter 5 and verse 7? This hurting mass of a man recognized Jesus for who he was and he humbly fell at the feet of the most humble person who's ever lived, Jesus. He humbled himself and confessed Jesus for who Jesus really is. The son of the living God. Demons inside of this man continued to shout out to him a name that was a false identity. I mean, he even self-defined himself as Legion. He didn't even use his real name. Jesus said, what's your name? He said, Legion. The world had told him so many times that he had a name that came from the demons that he had even forgotten his own name. Now, I want you to not misunderstand what I'm trying to say here because I say this with all the respect in the world. The, the demons inside of this man had given him a false identity. He expressed his false identity as legion, but Jesus recognized him for who he really was. He was a creation of God. He was a hurting creation of God, but he was a creation of God. And every creation of God, every human creation of God, I mean, you can't measure how high of a value God puts on your life and your soul. It's off the charts. God loves you. God created you to be his purposeful creation. Don't let the world give you a false identity. Don't let the demons in this world say anything that demeans the fact that you are a creation of God. See, many things threaten to give hurting people false identities today. And again, please understand the heart that I share this with. Don't, don't settle for a false identity. Humbly do like this man and fall at the feet of Jesus and give your false identity to him. Recognize him as the true and living son of God who wants to take away your sin. Who wants to take away your false identity. Trust him. Humbly fall at his feet. And claim your true identity in Jesus Christ. I've sat in hundreds of 12-step meetings and heard people say things like, my name is Legion, and I'm an alcoholic. My name is Legion, and I'm a drug addict. My name is Legion, and I'm a sex addict. My name is Legion, and I'm a spendaholic. <laughs> My name is Legion, and you fill in the blank. And everything in me wants to say, no, you're not an alcoholic. You're not a drug addict. You're not a sexaholic. 
You're a creation of God, born in the image of God. And once you come to know Christ, you have to understand that, that God created you with his identity stamp. And you're not what the world says you are. You're not what your sin says you are. You're a new creation when you're born again in Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that not one person would leave this message today and not claim your true identity in Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God wants to make you new. And when you humbly bow at His feet and confess your sin to Him, He gives you His identity. He gives you a new identity. He wants to transform you back into His original purpose for creating you. But I want to tell you something. If you take this kind of stand, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you being willing to move away from your old habits, to move away from your old comfort zones, maybe to move away from your own community that you associate with and move into the community of the family of God and let the family of God come alongside of you and encourage you and strengthen you and give you hope and help. And that's my prayer for you today. Taking this kind of step is going to cost you your popularity. It's going to cost you your comfort. But standing with Jesus will always cost you something. So the question is, are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to put your trust in Jesus? See, this man not only allowed himself to be defined by a false identity, but he also allowed himself to be defined by a false reality. Verse 7, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. What? You read this man's story. How could he be any more tormented than he already was tormented? He had this idea, this false reality that to walk with Jesus was going to torment him even more. No, 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 no. Jesus was saying, the identity I give you is going to move you out of torment. Might move you into making a high cost, giving up some things, some comfort, some identity, some habits that you have had in the past. But it's not going to torment you. It's going to set you free from torment because Jesus came to set us free from torment. Your torment may be different from this man. You may be living a torment of affluence. You may be living in torment of comfort. You may be living in the torment of popularity. Always trying to keep up with peer groups. Always trying to keep up with the crowd. Always trying to look good to people in your circle of influence. Your torment could be a life of boredom. <laughs> same old, same old, every day doing the same old thing over and over and over again. Just to go to bed at night and wake up tomorrow and do the same thing again today. Boredom, boring, boredom, boredom. Your torment could be relational isolation. No friends, no family, no worries. Your torment could be 
depression, whatever. Reality is that Jesus never will torment you. <laughs> so humbly bow before him and surrender to him as Lord. That's what this man did. That's exactly what he did. Jesus came to set you free from your torment. The thousands of demons inside of this wonderful man saw what was coming. <laughs> Did you see it in the scripture? They saw what was coming, so they said, Jesus, I beg you, let us go to the pigs. Remember, the pigs were designed for sacrificial worship of Zeus. And these demons felt like they would send the pigs into the water so they wouldn't have to leave the land where they were comfortable. The demons. They wanted to stay there. And that's exactly what happened. But this man needed help and Jesus paid the price of not being popular to set him free. And was he ever free? Thirdly, Valuing people over property has a cost. Verse 13, so he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank of the sea into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in their country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Verse 16. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. Okay, now a casual reading of this part of the passage, this part of the real life story that happened to a real live man. A casual reading of this story appears to make Jesus look like he's cruel. Right? I mean, we live in an animal-loving society, and that's cool. I've got a dog. I mean, I love my dog. I mean, I take very good care of my dog. But notice two things about these pigs. First, this man was more valuable to Jesus than the pigs. He valued people over property. From the second that a heart begins to beat in a human being throughout eternity, that human being has highest value in the eyes of God, no doubt about it. God values every human life. No person is a waste of time, Henry, <laughs> in the eyes of God. No person is. No human is too messy for the power of God to transform. God had a big purpose for this man's life. God has a big purpose for your life. Just as big as the purpose he had for this man. Do you hear that? Let it settle in. You are of value to God. 
highest value. This man experienced life transformation, which is the very reason why Jesus left heaven and came to earth to live as a man and sacrifice his life for every human being that's ever lived. Highest value. The second thing about this part of the passage that's not so obvious is this. <laughs> These pigs are going to die anyway. <laughs> These pigs are going to be sacrificed to a pagan god that wasn't even real. And Jesus took the opportunity when the demons asked to go into the pigs, Jesus took the opportunity to maybe crush a little bit of the spirit of the idol worshipers, the false god worshipers. I don't know if that's, you know, actually why Jesus did that, but it could be. It could be. He did put a dent in their sacrificial system when he allowed the demons to go into the pigs and let the pigs drown rather than be sacrificed to, to Zeus. Too often, though, most people, and I'm talking about most people, put property over people. Say, what do you mean, Ronnie? Well, I mean, when you spend all of your time building up wealth here on this earth, not even thinking about how your life could impact the life of somebody else, with some of the time that you spend investing and building wealth on this earth, then you're putting property over people. This man got it. See, the world doesn't want to hear that life in Jesus is the highest value that one can share on this earth. The world doesn't want to hear that. The world doesn't want to hear that knowing and sharing Jesus is worth the cost of time and energy and money and resources to invest that in other people. Church, Palmetto Shores, you have done a wonderful job sharing the gospel around the world. I mean, last month, we raised money to build a church in Zambia to see people come to Christ that we'll never meet here on this earth. Way to go. I mean, that's, that's what life is all about. But so many people miss that opportunity to value people over possessions. But this man got it right. The result of Jesus driving those demons out of his life created a response from him that was incredible, but that wasn't the only response that was created here. And this is where the story gets really sad. The Bible says, When the townspeople heard what had happened and came to see, verse 15, they found the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, Sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They were afraid. What were they afraid of? They were afraid of losing their wealth. Pigs. If Jesus did this here, he's probably going to do it in the rest of our country. No thanks, Jesus. Hit the road, Jesus. Or hit the boat, Jesus. <laughs> I can think of nothing better than for 
lives to be transformed by the power of God. Nothing. I can't think of anything that's a higher value than that. I mean, I vividly remember my mom being transformed. I vividly remember my dad being transformed. I was only five years old. But I remember it like it was yesterday. Has that happened to you? Has your life been transformed by the power of God? Have you bowed at the feet of Jesus and said, Jesus, I give everything that I am and everything that I'm not to you. Take my life and save my life for eternity. Take my life and use my life to impact and influence other people. That's what this man did, but not everybody did that. The residents of the surrounding area chose a different path, and everybody has to make that choice. One way and only one, and yet it's either two. Inside or outside, on which side are you? The man chose to move inside with Jesus. The crowd chose to send Jesus on the road, and Jesus is never going to hang out where he's not wanted. I can tell you that. So unfortunately, the response of the crowd was different from the response of, of this transformed man. The other response was generated by residents who chose property over people. Verse 17, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. How could these people make such a big mistake? What drove their decision? Well, property over people. Property over my soul. That's what they chose. They wanted Jesus gone more than they wanted to be changed into the image of God. And you have that choice to make today as well. Because you know what's even sadder than the choice these people made? Most people today feel the same way. No thanks, Jesus. Hit the boat, Jesus. So finally today, number four, totally obeying Jesus has a cost. Totally obeying Jesus has a cost. Verse 18, and he, Jesus, was getting into the boat, and the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends. What? This man had friends. <laughs> he had had a former life where he really had friends. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Do you notice how the, the writer Mark points out that the demons asked Jesus to cast them into the pigs and Jesus said yes. This transformed man asked Jesus to be allowed to follow him, to go along with him, and Jesus said no. That's curious. 
But for the true believer, the purpose of Jesus always takes priority over every other desire that I have or that you have. To be a true follower of Jesus means that you're going His direction, where He tells you to go. In the last sentence of this account, we learn that this man had friends and that Evidently, he had a life before hitting the rocky side of the mountain to live out there among the rocks and the tombs. We have no idea how he fell off the wagon or where he fell off the wagon, but we do know this. His transformation recovery needed to be heard by people who would listen, and no one would listen anymore or see the transformation anymore than people that had seen the change in the other direction of his life. And listen, there are people who need to hear your story. There are people who need to hear your transformation story. If the power of God has changed your life just like he's changed my life, there are other people, friends, family, neighbors, who need to hear the story. What story did they need to hear? The Bible says his friends needed to hear about a merciful God. See, Jesus is Lord. Not only is Jesus Lord, Jesus is the Lord. That means that he has control over telling you where to go and telling you what to do and telling you how to think and telling you how to feel and telling you how to live. And this man valued obeying Jesus, the Lord, even when it went against his wishes. I mean, just think about it. Obeying Jesus cost him the excitement of traveling with Jesus and watching Jesus change other lives and transform other lives just like he had changed his. But look at the result of his obedience. Look at verse 20. He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. A Decapolis is a ten-city area. Conway, Loris, Aner, Surfside, Garden City, Myrtle Beach, North Myrtle Beach. I mean, a ten-city area. This man went in the Decapolis and shared how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. How can we miss the application of this story? This man became an effective eyewitness to the transforming power of the gospel just like God can use your life to become a witness to the transforming power of the gospel. You think about your best friends who are far from God. They need the gospel. And who better to deliver it to them then your transformed life, my transformed life. I'm so thankful today that someone took the challenge to share the gospel with my 25-year-old rebellious, wicked, sinful dad. I don't know who that heroic man was, but I'm telling you, he was taking a risk. I've told y'all before, my dad is a fist fighter. I mean, he grew up, if you crossed, if you looked cross-eyed at him, he was going to pop you upside the head. I mean, he was, he was a rebellious, wicked, sinful man. 
And I'm so thankful that at 25 years old, see, I was born one week after my dad graduated from high school. And I have a brother three years older than me, so you can just track it back and see what kind of lifestyle my dad came out of. But that man shared the gospel at the risk of being popped upside the head with my dad, and my dad was drawn to Jesus. And not only was my mom and dad's life transformed, but a whole generation after that came to know and follow Jesus as well. Verse 19, God's mercy. That mercy God's talking about there, God's mercy is abundant. It's what I need every day. Every day, every single day. And when I receive God's mercy, I have the privilege and opportunity and command from Jesus to share it with other people. And that's true for every believer, every true born-again believer in Jesus Christ. So how do we apply this to our life today? I don't know that I can make it any clearer. I mean, it's clear to me. But let me just give you two statements about the fact that there's a cost and sometimes a high cost to anything worth being and anything worth having. First of all, count the cost to know and obey and follow Jesus because there is a cost. There's a cost. It might cost you your pride in sharing Jesus with classmates and work associates and friends and neighbors. There's going to be a cost. And secondly, claim your new identity by trusting God's mercy today and then be willing to share it. The day I drove Jimmy home and read this note on the key ring, waste of time, Henry, that's what it says. I said, no, my, my truck, we got a history of this truck. And you, I'm not going into that today, but there's a history to that old truck. I don't know who wrote this note. I don't know if it was the guy that scrubbed and scrubbed the rust off of it, because there was a lot of rust on that old truck. I don't know if it was the guy that put the new windshield in because the windshield was cracked in five or six different places and I said, let's get a new windshield for that truck. I don't know if it was the guy that put the new exhaust system because it sounded worse than Ken Wentz's truck coming down the road. I mean, it was <laughs> like a Mack truck coming down the road and a little four-cylinder pickup truck. I don't know who wrote this note, but I know this. Whoever wrote it didn't know what they were talking about because... That was not a waste of time, Henry. Gail asked me recently, how much did we spend on that truck? I hadn't told her. <laughs> I'm not going to tell her. It's none of her business. Okay. <laughs> but I know this, it was worth it. It was worth it. I, I got some more to spend on, and it, it was worth it. But I want to tell you what, that doesn't even come close to the value that God has on your life and on the souls of lives that could come to know Jesus if you would just be willing to join me and step over the line 
say, I'm not looking at another person like that person is a waste of time, Henry, in the eyes of God. Jesus shed his precious blood for every single soul on planet Earth. God's not asking us to share with every single soul on planet Earth, but he is asking us to share with one. The one that he sends into our life. Do we value people over possessions? Are we willing to pay the cost, whatever it is, to know and obey and follow Jesus out loud? So people in our life will marvel at the work of Jesus. God, thank you today. Thank you today that you have brought us under the sound of the whole gospel. God, I pray for someone here today who maybe has never trusted Jesus never humbled themselves and bowed at the feet of Jesus and said, I admit that I'm a sinner and I believe that Jesus became flesh, became one of us and lived a perfect life among us so that he could be the perfect sacrifice to pay the price for my sin. And right now today, I repent of my sin as God calls me to Him. I join back to a new life with Him. And I pray that He uses the rest of my life to be a glory to Him. God, I pray there'd be somebody who would pray that prayer today. And then for those of us who have prayed that prayer in times past, we know You. We love you. We follow you. I pray that you'll give us new eyes to look at new people in our, look at people in our family and people in our neighborhood and people in our community, our school, our work. And the sincere prayer of our heart will be, God, as you have made us new, use us, use me. To magnify the work that you've done so that others can come to know Jesus as well as I share the gospel, the good news with them. God, that's the only way that we can truly worship you. And right now, you know our heart. And in the sincerity of our heart, we cry out to you today to make us new. That mercy that's new every day, God, we need it, and we want it right now. So make us new as we celebrate in our worship with you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and continue to worship.